0: Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, your host for this program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Every week I have a different guest and we explore pro life issues. We talk about architecture and music and liturgy and literature. Exploring all the different aspects of our wonderful Catholic faith. Today, my guest is Mr. Vincent Weaver. Vincent is the director of programs and training for a wonderful parish-based, family-based organization called Family Honor. Welcome, Vincent.
1: Thank you, Father. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Family Honor was founded here in South Carolina. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of Family Honor?
1: Sure. It was founded by a group of parents who had discovered these wonderful teachings of John Paul II Collectively known as the Theology of the Body, and Mm -hmm. they started to see that there was something much better to be offered in the Catholic Church, in schools and and beyond, that parents could really lead this effort and parents could be the primary educators of their kids if they had the appropriate resources.
0: So Family Honor is a... A series of programs that you and your colleagues take out to parishes and to schools, helping parents and young people to understand a truly authentic Catholic understanding of relationships and sexual- human sexuality.
1: Yes, exactly. We we have a group of about 120 presenters that mm-hmm. that are trained through a uh, semester-long uh, online course, college-level offering. To prepare them to bring this message in within the parish environments around, mostly around the eastern half of the country. And the idea really is just to kickstart the conversation. We mm-hmm. are not we are not there to do this job for the parents. We are there to help the parents see they really can do this. They can talk to their mm-hmm. kids about the issue of human sexuality. They can help them develop the virtue of chastity and overwhelmingly that's the sense that you see in parents mm-hmm. as as they complete a program with their kids is wow i really can do this
0: i want to uh, talk more about the particulars and and uh, of the family Honor program and how it helps and what a typical program is like and uh, how uh, parents can get in touch but first let's talk a little bit about some of the background problems in our our culture you know, one of the hot-button issues at the moment is the same-sex marriage debate. And I know a lot of conservative Christians are upset about that and saying, no, you can't change the definition of marriage and a man can't marry a man and a woman a woman. And so this has become a, a big issue and, a, and of, of course, a controversial issue. I have a, a view that this does, is not a standalone issue
1: Absolutely. Many people have heard the term um, avoiding being a cafeteria Catholic. Mm -hmm. If you try to address one of these issues all by itself, it's really hard to have a persuasive conversation with someone about it, something like same-sex marriage. But when you look at the the tapestry of all the different teachings of the church woven together, like artificial contraception, like abortion, like same-sex marriage – All of a sudden, this big-picture view starts to come into focus, and you start to see that the church is not looking to lay down a bunch of rules for people. It's actually providing some very helpful guidelines so that our sexuality can be appreciated for the divine gift that it is. Because when we try to direct our sexuality in a way that's not in line with God's plan, pain is the result.
0: Right. I've often said that the whole thing is about marriage. And marriage is this, from the Catholic perspective, a, a beautiful sacrament that God has given. And it's right there in from the very beginning of the Bible in the first stories about what is a man, what is a woman. And God says, be fruitful and multiply. And all the way through the scriptures, echoing in almost every page is the mystery of marriage, whether it's about the marriages of the patriarchs and searching for your bride and the problems with adultery and fornication and all the other things that happened. Time and again, this echoes through the the story of humanity in a beautiful way. So, So we begin with marriage and the things that the Catholic Church is opposed to are just things that break marriage. They're things which destroy marriage. And therefore, just like we would be opposed to somebody coming in with a hammer and breaking a beautiful ancient Ming vase or something, we're opposed to people coming in and breaking this beautiful ancient thing called marriage.
1: Absolutely. And and trying to redefine it is trying to make God in our image rather than us realizing we are made in his image. And that's certain to come to a painful defeat.
0: What do you think are the roots of this? I mean, we're living in, in kind of a revolutionary time, really, in in, in terms of human sexuality. Things are happening in our society and in our self-understanding that the world has never seen before. Where do you think it comes from?
1: Well, I think the predictions that Pope Paul VI made when issuing Humanae Vitae about the um, increased disrespect for women, the objectification for women, the breakdown of marriages— as a result of artificial contraception. I mean, they were truly profound, and there's a lot of writings about that. But it was also interesting, a Methodist minister a few years ago made the statement when when gay marriage first started to become a more discussed topic. He said, within the church community, we lost the moral authority to fight gay marriage when we said that sterile heterosexual sex within marriage was okay.
0: Right. So you're saying that with this new technology of artificial contraception, it's not a totally new technology. People were using artificial contraception right back to Roman and Greek times of different sorts. Absolutely. But suddenly there was a pill and a woman could take a pill and you know, have sexual relations without the risk of pregnancy. And this invention was totally revolutionary. And it has changed understanding of sexuality. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be married? And you're saying that Artificial contraception removed the procreative aspect from the marriage act. And when that happened, everything else tumbled like a house of cards.
1: And you can see this in the Respect Life ministries, that the battle that the folks doing very good work in that area are fighting, because when that aspect of procreation was removed from marriage, or that emphasis as one of the two main reasons for the marital act, one of union and one of procreation, when you remove one of those, the respect for life was diminished because suddenly children are no longer gifts. Children become spoken of in terms of a burden.
0: They're um, not a blessing. They're a liability. Absolutely.
1: And, it's, and it's, it's something that is inconvenient. It takes away the lifestyle I want to lead. There's a ripple effect from that mentality that affects all of these topics. And it absolutely is a big part of the discussion of gay marriage I want it my way I want this to be defined on my terms
0: I've noticed also as a a pastor in a parish and in working with people through these same issues of marriage and sexuality and family life, that there's a certain amount of hypocrisy amongst the Christian population. Conservative Christians of many denominations and traditions are up in arms saying, oh, you know, we can't have same-sex marriage, and isn't it terrible? But these are the same people who over the last 50 or 60 years have just bit by bit compromised on one issue after another. First, they compromised on artificial contraception, and then they began to take an easier stance against divorce and remarriage. They began saying, well, perhaps one divorce and remarriage is okay, and then if one, why not two? And and before long, some Christian churches are now not even worrying about marriage discipline at all. They're just accepting that divorce and remarriage is what happens, and nobody really asks those questions anymore. Now, as a Catholic— The majority of people who come to me asking to be married are living together already. And only a short time ago, that situation would have been unthinkable within a Christian congregation or or, or community. If a girl was living with a a boy before marriage, she was considered to be a bad girl. The guy was considered to be taking advantage of her. He was not a a good guy. And yet now they come along quite happily expecting to have a full white wedding and everything. And they're surprised when I challenge them on this. Are you seeing the same disintegration
1: Absolutely. And I think, again, it goes back to what we were talking about with the dawn of the pill. Again, with Pope Paul VI's predictions, when the pill was readily available throughout societies, really about the mid-70s is where that became widely dispersed. That's when you also saw the divorce rate reach that 50 percent mark. The correlation was was almost one-to-one as they both increased. And now we have a whole generation or two that there's a genuine distrust that a relationship can last. Mm -hmm. So the default mode seems to have become cohabitation. And I think the church might be missing, not might, I think they are missing an opportunity to address couples from a different perspective. It's not, hey, this is what the church thinks you ought to do. It's if you really love this other person, why would you want to engage in acts That are harmful to them, meaning you should know that cohabitating couples have a divorce rate significantly higher than the rest of society. It closes in on
0: 80 percent. Also, it's interesting how many Catholics seem to accept that divorce is an option which nobody really cares about and it's okay. They'll come and sit in my office and tell me their marriage problems, and I'll listen to the whole thing sympathetically. And then it's very interesting, I'll quite often say to maybe the woman who wants to get rid of her husband because she says she doesn't love him anymore, or vice versa. It's pretty much equal, men and, and women. And I'll say to them, you know, were you married in church? Yes. And what were the vows that you took? To love and obey and, and honor? Uh-huh. And did you say for better or for worse? Yes. Did you say for richer, for poorer? Uh Uh-huh. Did you say in sickness and in health? Yes. Did you say till death do us part? Yes, but you don't understand, Father. You see, I've really prayed about it (laughs) or whatever. It's kind of an assumption amongst Catholics that it's okay just to trample on these sacred vows they took before God and his church. And I know people are in difficult situations, but I see the divorces happening left, right, and center. I I can't believe how easy it is for people to get divorced. And I just want to hold up a mirror and say to the parents who are divorcing, children's hearts are broken by divorce. Their lives are broken by divorce. I'm sure you've seen that as well. And one of the theories I have is that divorce is actually contributing to the sexual confusion in our society. When I say sexual confusion, I'm talking about girls who don't know what femininity is about. And, and maybe they fall into to lesbianism or they fall into some twisted understanding of who they are and what sex means. and and how to win love and, and boys who are confused about their sexuality, not sure what masculinity means. Maybe they fall into homosexuality or or illicit behaviors of some sort which destroy their lives. Do you think that's a, a contributing factor to this?
1: Yes. What seems to have happened perhaps from the 70s on into the 90s, we were getting more and more a sense of fathers really aren't very important. Fathers mm-hmm. aren't really needed. Um, you certainly see this in popular culture and TV shows and so forth where where dads are portrayed as buffoons as opposed to the types of
0: – If they're tr- even there at all. Yeah, or
1: if, even, if they're even there right. at all, they are seen as replaceable. They're seen as, as not necessary. And what we're finding over particularly the last 15 to 20 years is the opposite is the truth. Dads, even if they're not part of an intact marriage, actively involved dads. Can have a profound and do have a profound effect on their kids, both their sons and their daughters. This is a very short list of all the ways that they affect their kids. For one thing, they show their sons this is how you treat a woman, this is how you act as a man. They bring a physicalness to play in the home and, you know, wrestling around on the floor and things like that. They're wired to be that way. We are wired as men to be more physically oriented. We are wired to take risks that women don't. That's not a bad thing. It's just the way God made us and wired us. And also, fathers show girls this is how you are to be treated. This is how a man should treat you. And you hear so much about girls marrying their fathers, so to speak. But there's a lot of truth to that. They look to their dad, whether he's a good or a bad example, as the type of person I should connect with. But they can be chased away from the idea of even having an interest in um, becoming married and having a healthy relationship. I've
0: also understood in some of my reading about this same topic that a very interesting understanding of this, that the child is naturally bonded with the mother because he was inside her for nine months and then attached to her for most of infancy. When they come to adolescence, the child needs to break the bond with the mother. We call it cutting the apron strings and so forth. And the boy and the girl then need to have the father comes into his own. And the father also teaches them how to engage with the outside world, how to get a job and hold a job, how to relate to people outside the home, both as men and women. And that if the father's not there, the boy and the girl don't have that essential bridge out to the outer world. They, they need to build that bridge themselves or find another mentor to help them do that. And that therefore some of these important building blocks of development and building blocks of personality growth are just missing and so we're, when the father's absent or he's kicked out of the home or a divorce happens, important aspects of human development are just absent. And therefore, we have a population of of young people who are rootless and don't know where they're going.
1: Right. And, and I, I do want to make one comment as far as divorce and single parents out there. There's certainly a lot of heroic efforts by single parents raising their kids, but Don't ever think that the mother and the father are interchangeable. They are irreplaceable. And um, having that maternal influence and the fatherly influence are both very important for for a a child being raised in a well-rounded way. They're going to have a much higher likelihood of succeeding in life when they do have that complementary influence of both.
0: And some of the most successful and courageous single parents that I've known have been moms and dads who've understood this and they've taken it seriously and they've made every effort, for instance, if it's a single mom, to help their son uh, have another father figure in their life. Maybe it's an uncle or grandfather or someone else. Or a priest. Or a priest, yeah, or a scout leader, someone who can help them with that role. If the dad's on his own, finding those other women in his life who can help to fulfill fill those gaps. Family honor is a wonderful way to try to correct all of this right at the root level, which is at the education of our young people.
1: The whole idea is to take the single greatest influence over a young person's risk-taking decisions, which is the parent. Mm -hmm. We know this from science and the U S council of bishops have spoken of this as well, that this is not the parish's job. This is not religious education's job. This is not some seminars job. This is the, the role of the parents to be the primary educators. And we know through science that, That makes perfect sense. And if more parents understood that they can convey their values to their kids, but it all depends on relationship with their kids. If you're not doing things with your child, if you're not spending time with them, you're missing the opportunity to have that influence. And that's really what we want to give them a unique opportunity to do. If the the relationship is not there, this opens the door. If it's already there, it enhances that relationship.
0: This is so necessary and, and wonderful, especially when you look back on the inadequate response of what we called sex education in the past. Uh, when I was a schoolboy, sex education was provided in a few short sessions by a doctor, and it was all just very objective. They were they were very careful to avoid any moral judgment. It was very mechanical. This is what happens, boys, and quite rightly in a, in a state school – thought that the moral aspects needed to be done by the church and the family. However, in the church and the family, when I was a teenager and in the years before that, unfortunately, most of the education about sexuality was highly negative and was basically along the lines of, to the boys, you don't want to do that or you'll get the girl in trouble or you'll get a nasty disease. And to the girls, you don't want to do that. They'll think you're a bad girl. You know, you'll spoil your reputation, you'll get pregnant, and then what'll happen to you? And along came the pill, along came antibiotics, and young people were saying, she won't get pregnant, and if I get a disease, I'll take penicillin. And so family honors coming in and beginning with the theology of the body and educating our young people about the beauty of marriage and relationships. Tell me a bit more about it.
1: And along the lines of what you're saying there, I've heard people say, I wish we could go back to the days when people had the proper understanding of sex. There really wasn't a day when people had the proper understanding of mm-hmm. sex. And that's the beautiful thing about God's mercy and his grace, that right as the pill and very liberal attitudes about sexual activity came into full stride in the 70s, lo and behold, we get this pope, blessed John Paul II, who unveils this incredible – Theology of the Body teachings, these 129 homilies delivered over a five-year period, and what it conveys to all of us and what we're still, will be unpacking for many years, is this is a beautiful thing, the idea of chastity, of being able to see God in others. And also see God in myself if I am surrounding myself with purity and what I read and what I listen to and what I talk about and what I what I read about. When I do that, I really can recognize God. And all of a sudden, sex goes from being some biological function to being divine, being mm-hmm. absolutely divine. And And God, as Christopher West once said, God has a banquet awaiting us, and yet we're willing to eat out of the dumpster instead, and it just makes no sense. And these teachings of the theology of the body, which is a a, um, common thread with all of our family honor programs, provides that forum for parents to apply these teachings in a very practical way within their own homes, within their family, and develop a culture that their family can really be grounded in.
0: You're listening to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and my guest today is Vincent Weaver, the Director of Programs and Training for the Family Honor Program, a program which helps to spread the good news about the theology of the body to our young people and to our families. So, Vincent, a typical program that is not just sitting the young people down for a sex talk, you're actually sharing with them in creative exercises with their parents. Tell us a bit more about a typical experience at a family honor program.
1: Sure. We, we have three primary parent-child programs. One is and the one that's most well-known is called Real Love in Real Life, and that is where we have parents, and typically it's their eighth graders, sitting down talking about again we're we're talking about communication first and foremost but then we start discussing fertility appreciation and virtue development like self-control and chastity and starting to look ahead uh, at the young person's goals in life and how to get there and a chase life is the way to completely open the door to to achieving those goals and having the parents Sitting side-by-side with their teens really is what makes this a unique experience. This isn't a classroom curriculum. It's not something you teach like math because when it comes to these types of decisions, a teen's brain doesn't even grasp the concepts and processes them in a way that we would hope they would do. You have to have that parental influence to really make that effective. Uh, One of our other programs is for parents and their sixth graders. It's called Changes and Challenges. That's a shorter, a little simpler program. Some people refer to that as an appetizer version of Real Love in Real Life. It's to, Again, it's to get the conversation started and to begin looking in an age-appropriate way at this issue of fertility appreciation and developing virtue, particularly the four cardinal virtues. And the one I think we're most excited about, and ultimately we think it's going to be more widely requested, it's our newest program called Leading and Loving. And this is a program for parents only of basically pre-born up through about fifth grade kids. And the parents get the chance, just among other parents, to get an introduction to theology of the body. We kind of help them develop a framework for answering those tricky questions that kids, even at very young ages, may bring up, topics they may bring up and are wondering about. So how do you respond to those in a way that brings God into it, that brings church teachings into it at the appropriate levels? We talk about virtue formation and truly cultivating uh, virtues within our homes, and we also address head-on those uh, ungodly sexual behaviors like we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. We talk about abortion, contraception, same-sex attraction, and and so forth, homosexual acts, I should say, and why does the church say what it says about them, and usually— People have a misconception about what the church actually says about those things. But we, we again, help them frame this in an objective way, looking at the behavior, not at the person.
0: What's so exciting about it is that you're not going through giving a lot of negativities and a lot of prohibitions. Instead, you're trying to share with them and with their parents a a holistic approach of what it means to be a fully alive uh, follower of Jesus Christ, a fully alive human being. When I was serving as a high school chaplain, one of the questions that you'd you'd get asked quite often, usually from the boys, was, well, Father, how far can I go before it's a sin? And I tried to get across to them that that was really the wrong question, that, you know, you weren't asking how far can I go before it's a sin. Your your relationship with this girl is much, much bigger than that. Now, the other thing that Family Honor is offering is you're spending a lot of time, as you said, with, with the parents. Why do you think that's so important?
1: speaking from personal experience, so many of us have so little reference point when it comes to how do I even start this conversation? Mm-hmm. So what has been the way this has been conveyed oftentimes is it's almost like we're entertaining the kids while we're helping catechize and educate the parents. Right. Usually the parents don't realize this program's primarily aimed at them. But You know, partway through, they start, you know, the light bulbs, you can start seeing them above their heads and and they start realizing, wow, there's a a lot to be gained. Because the parents
0: are representing a generation or a couple of generations who have been very, very poorly catechized and educated in in these areas. Right. Do you help other Christians as well? How does that work?
1: It is definitely a program that is based in Catholic teachings, but we frequently have Protestants and others uh, attend our programs Almost without exception, the reaction that we hear, particularly from evangelical Protestants, is, wow, this is great stuff. This is is really a universal Uh concept that applies. And for Catholics that are really engaged already, they tend to be wildly enthusiastic about this. Mm -hmm. But even for those who aren't so crazy, we do have some programs where the parishes require – the, the um, families to come to them and you do encounter a little bit of resistance at first because this is a conversation a lot of parents just hope never really comes up. right And yet you can see in the body language as the program goes on that the smiles start to develop. They, they loosen up and they start realizing this is really useful. This is I'm glad I came. And uh, that's what we experience over and over and over again.
0: Wonderful. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity. And my guest today is Vincent Weaver, the Director of Programs and Training for the Family Honor Program. Vincent, tell our listeners where they can get more information about Family Honor.
1: Our website's very simple, straightforward. It's www.familyhonor.org. And when you go there, not only will you see a list of the different types of programs that we offer and a program schedule that's updated on a very regular basis – but there's also information about something, a resource that we offer that goes much deeper for people who really want to dive into this, whether they be ministry leaders, teachers, or parents who just want greater edification and, and foundation in and church teachings, and that's the online course. It's completely online. It covers a 16-week semester. It's the equivalent of a three-credit hour college-level course. And I'd say 85 to 90% of the folks who've gone through this course have said it's been transformational or life-changing. And and even people who have a background in chastity education, what they find is by the end of the course, they realize there's an enormous difference between teaching abstinence and teaching true virtue-based chastity.
0: So often the abstinence programs which are out there actually do focus back on those negativities I was talking about. Yes.
1: Even when they don't realize that's what they're trying to emphasize.
0: I saw one where the person put out – gave me a brochure from one of those courses and I couldn't believe the front of the title of the brochure said sex equals death. Wow. (laughs) Wow. It went on to point out sexually transmitted diseases and abortion and so forth. What they meant was that, of course, the wrong kind of sex does lead to violence and, and to death because of, of the, the death that's built into it, the negativities that are built into it. But it, it wasn't a very positive program. <laughs> and yeah, so. and,
1: and the funny thing is the reality is as God is trying to teach us is sex actually equals life. Of course. And that's that's what we want to convey. And this the
0: fullness is, of life. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is More Christianity. You're listening to Vincent Weaver, who's the Director of Programs and Training for Family Honor. Go and learn more about the Family Honor program at www.familyhonor.org. See if you can support this wonderful ministry and perhaps bring it to your parish to help your families and your young people. Thank you for listening. Vincent, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Father.